Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. As we begin our FOMO Friday today, our fear of missing out report is going to help you with your fear of missing out, (laughs) especially if you have given up on the propaganda media and you don't listen to them anymore. We want to make sure that you know of what's going on in the world and the things that you need to know. And as we start out today, I just want to thank everybody. I want to give a great big thank you to all of the listeners of this podcast. Uncommon Sense Podcast is in its third season. We're about to go into season four, and we have done a lot of podcasts, and we have done a lot of material, and it could not be possible to cover all of this without you, the listeners. You guys are awesome. And there are some numbers that are starting to come in for the end of the year numbers that we get. And man, are they looking great. We're going to cover some of those later. We're not going to do that today. uh, But when they finalize, we'll we'll be covering those and giving a great big thank you uh, uh, celebration, I guess, (laughs) as a podcast episode uh, for that. So anyway, today we are seeing in the world uh, the soccer world cup happening for those that follow that kind of thing and uh for those that have never really traveled outside the u.s well it can be hard to understand just how blessed we are here i say those two things because in a series of articles from the daily wire comes this team iran lost one to nothing to team usa on Tuesday, getting eliminated from the 2022 World Cup. Now, the team was gracious in its defeat. It, it shook hands with the American players after the devastating loss, and, and that was classy. But what was not classy, instead actually horrifying, was what happened to Iran's players before the game and what might happen to them post-loss. Now, Iran threatened the families of the players with imprisonment and torture if the players didn't behave ahead of the match. And this was this was a source that told CNN this. After the players stood mute during the anthem in their opening match against England, the source said players were called to a meeting with members of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, or the IRGC. The players were informed that their families would face, quote, violence and torture if they snubbed the anthem again. Again, this was a source told CNN. The alleged threats came after the uh, Iran's players refused to sing the anthem in what was a silent protest uh, after the death of 22-year-old uh, Masa Amini, who was allegedly beaten to death while in police custody for, get, get this, for failing to properly wear a hijab. Now, Amini's death set off weeks of violent protests. The, the Islamic Republic um, deployed security forces to squash what is called riots. Uh, the brigadier general of the IRGC said uh, Tuesday that 300 people had died in the protests. This is according to CBS News. Now, <laughs> that's what they're actually saying is that 
over 300 people have died, but the Human Rights Activists News Agency in Iran says more than 450 protesters have died in the protests, including 64 children. The group also says more than 18,000 people have been detained in more than 1,100 protests in 157 cities. Now, after the game, there were more reports that Iran's soccer team faces punishment for the loss. Mike Baker, uh, a former CIA covert operations officer, told the New York Post that the players are now in an untenable situation. Given that we've seen from the Iranian regime, they've shown themselves to be brutal, and there's no reason to believe they're going to suddenly become rational, Baker said. Quote, now the Iranian team could face fines or even arrest in the wake of Tuesday's defeat once they arrive home as retaliation for the um, disloyalty of their failure to beat the enemy, Baker told the Post. Neither is good if you're an Iranian player upon returning home, he added. In another twist, protesters in Iran, they, they cheered the country's defeat, celebrated, uh, celebrating in, in Tehran and other cities uh, as a blow to the ruling regime. Quote, I am happy. This is the government losing to the people, one person told CNN after the Iranian defeat. Of course, there will be little way to track the well-being of of Iranians players, uh, the Iranian players, but their family members, uh, as, as their society censors, you know, social media, it's it's just going to be, uh, you know, very difficult to to see what goes on with them. But somehow, I think we'll find out. I think Iran needs to remember that, and 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 I I have, I I have the thought. I've often had this thought of why so many liberal activists harp on so many petty little things here in the, in the, in the America, Americans, um, here in America, when, when there is so many human right violations all across the globe, why, why such uh, harping on, on these petty little things that you, you just think, what in the world are you doing here? Why are you protesting over that? But then I remember America is where the money and publicity is, and really where the security is. They can protest securely, and, and they don't have to be threatened with death. And, and speaking of security, thousands of convicted pedophiles in California served less than a year in prison after committing lewd and lascivious acts with a child under 14 years old, according to an investigative report. The Daily Mail analyzed a statewide database of sex offenders that showed more than 7,000 child molesters were released within months after federal authorities sentenced them to prison. Yes, within months. Former L.A. um, sex crimes prosecutor Samuel uh, Derdillion told uh, Daily Mail that the statistics shocked him. Uh, adding the reality is frightening for society. Statistics clearly show that pedophiles don't get reformed, he said. They're going to come out. They're going to commit again. Letting these people out early, we're, we're allowing for a lot of victimization, and that's terrifying. California law requires sex offenders to register their address and update their location upon moving 
uh, with with the Department of Justice, and those names and and other personal details uh, are then placed in a public database under Megan's Law, which the, the Clinton administration passed back in 1996 after a, a pedophile murdered a seven year old uh, by the name of Megan Kenka, um, and and according to the report. Almost 55,000 sex offenders were listed on the website in July of 2019, of which, of, of which, so again, we're talking about almost exactly 55,000 sex offenders. And of those, 76% committed offenses involving children. The average pedophile serves, served two years and 10 months in prison. That's the average. The average is two years and 10 months of all pedophiles. One of the examples outlined in the Daily Mail report said an uh, offender in the database named Carlos Alexander um, New, uh, it's spelled N-A-H-U-E. He's 48 and he is from uh, Resenda, California. And he lives uh, one block from Royal Montessori School Daycare and three blocks from Resenda Elementary School after allegedly being convicted of continuous sexual abuse of a child in 2015. Now, authorities charged Nu uh, in October of 2014, and he pled no contest to the crime in January of 2015, which, so, so he, he pled no contest. He didn't even fight it. This resulted in a judge sentencing him to only two days in an L.A. County jail and five years probation. Two days. According to the database, the most common offenses were lewd and lascivious acts against children under 14 years old. And 7,152 pedophiles who committed this crime served less than a year. Yes, that's almost 7,200 pedophiles served less than a year. Now, Dardulian, it said the uh, statistics were surprisingly very low. <laughs> yeah, you think? He said, as a lawyer who represents victims of sexual abuse, Gov uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom's policies shorten prison sentences to reduce the population locked up. And that's happening all over blue states, by the way. Uh, Oregon uh, just uh, did the exact same thing. The governor, the um, lame duck governor right now is just letting people out of jail like nobody's business, um, right and left. I mean, in, in, in the thousands. Um, and, and he says in this, he says, that has been the push for the last at least five years from Gavin Newsom, letting uh, people out of prison much earlier than what their sentence sentences were for. Now, a spokesperson for the state's attorney general told the Daily Mail that Public safety is top priority for the California Department of Justice, adding that the issue generally falls on the responsibility of the local school attorneys, uh, I'm sorry, district attorneys, courts, and state lawmakers. Now, that's true. It does generally fall upon them, the, the local uh, district attorneys, the courts, you know, the judges, and, and the state lawmakers. Well, guess who has funded many of these local leftist district attorneys, judges, and state lawmakers. Well, that would be George Soros, the number one contributor to the Democratic Party. And speaking of liberal, the Liberal Democratic Party, labor unions 
rebuked President Joe Biden on Tuesday for requesting that Congress prevent a looming rail strike. The commander-in-chief said in a Monday evening statement that the possible work freeze, which could begin as soon as December 9th, would devastate the economy ahead of the holiday season. Quote, as a proud pro-labor president, I am reluctant to override the ratification procedures and the views of those who voted against the agreement, he remarked. But, oh, let me stop there. Whenever you hear, I, I, I heard this statement, I think even my mom said this one time, that whenever you hear the word but after a statement, you can pretty much just disregard what you just heard. So whatever you just heard, disregard it. So when he says, I'm a proud pro-labor president, I am re- uh, reluctant to override the ratification procedures and, and, and the views of those who voted against the agreement. But, so disregard what I just said, in this case, where the economic impact of a shutdown would hurt millions of other working people and the families, I believe Congress must use its powers to adopt this deal. So he says something, then says, but, so you can disregard it, and then says something else, that's what he believes. The Brotherhood of Maintenance and Way Employees Division responded in a harsh statement, noting that the organization, quote, is deeply disappointed by the dis- uh, and disagrees with the sentiment expressed by Biden. Get this. It is not enough to share workers' concerns. It is not enough to share workers' concerns. A call to Congress to act immediately to pass legislation that adopts tentative agreements that exclude paid sick leave ignores the rail workers' concerns. So here's, here is, here's a union who is basically saying, stop talking about that you, that you understand our concerns. Because what you're doing completely ignores our concerns. <laughs> so you can say what you want to say about, oh, you, 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 you understand their concerns, but you really don't because what you're doing expresses something different. The, the, the group said it, it both denies rail workers their right to strike while also denying them the benefit they would likely otherwise obtain if they uh, were not denied their right to strike. And here's House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, and, and the fact that she announced that the lower chamber would vote on enforcing the tentative agreement this week, expressing similar reluctance as Biden to usurp the standard union negotiations. Quote, and, and, and here, here what she's saying here, she's doing exactly the same thing that Biden did. You have to hear it. Quote, we must recognize that railroads have been selling out to Wall Street to boost their bottom lines, making obscene profits while demanding more and more from rail workers. But, <laughs> there's the but again. You, you can just disregard everything she just said. She's, she's saying that these, these rail companies, they're such terrible individuals. They're, they're making obscene profits and they're, they're abusing their workers. But we must act to prevent a catastrophic nationwide rail strike, which would grind an economy to a halt. <laughs> Biden ran for the Oval Office as an ally of labor unions, vowing in his 2020 campaign 
a platform to uh, ardently support 40-hour work weeks, paid leave, and health benefits, which is what's going on here. The tentative agreement greenlit by a majority of na- of the nation's rail unions agrees to 24% pay raise and more robust health benefits while denying paid sick leave. Now, I'm going to just say this. If you are a union worker and think that the Democratic Party is on your side, well, you're just delusional. I mean, take a look at their track record, right? They can say all they want, but then they do this. How about the oil industry and the takedown of the oil industry, the Keystone XL pipeline and the and the oil drilling shutdowns? I mean, the, even though it's okay, it's, it's, it's not okay to do any of that here in the U.S. where your jobs are. But it is okay to drill in communist Venezuela, just not here. So we can let them drill. It's okay. Their oil doesn't pollute the atmosphere or whatever they want to to claim. It's just our oil here in the U.S. and, you know, produced by our oil workers. And how about now with the rail unions? I mean, I could go on and on and on with just the the things that the Democratic Party has come against unions in just just with this administration. But now we see this with the rail unions. They voted to not accept this, but it's making him look bad. So guess what? He's going to give the big butt. Now, this next story is an interesting one that starts to answer a question that I've had for a while now. I've often wondered why certain power companies can be so eager to develop devastating policies when it comes to their power grid. I mean, they, of anyone, should understand the devastation that we're looking at by closing perfectly good power plants in favor of green energy. A attorney general from multiple um, conservative states and nonprofit organization called Consumers Research filed motions seeking to prevent Vanguard from purchasing shares in public traded utilities out of a concern that the company's climate change efforts will raise prices and decrease energy reliability. The motions filed with the Federal Energy Re- Regulatory Commission argued that Vanguard should not be eligible for blanket authorization to buy shares in public utilities under the Federal Power Act because the asset manager uses market power to advance decarbonization goals. Along with rival firms BlackRock and State Street, Vanguard participates in a net zero asset manager's uh, uh, initiative through which the companies commit to seek net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050 or sooner using the investment funds. Quote, we took this action on behalf of American uh, energy consumers because time and time again, we see massive Wall Street firms pretending to passively manage their shares, but instead they use those assets to bully utility companies into adopting radical left-wing policies that drive up electric bills and risk the stability of our power grid. This is from the, the Consumer Research Executive Director, Will Hild. 
Now, among the other examples, the group's um, uh, com complaint noted that Vanguard, BlackRock, and State Street coordinated to elect three climate-conscious board members to ExxonMobil, which subsequently announced a $15 billion commitment to lower emissions while abandoning certain oil and gas projects. BlackRock has, has taken voting action on climate issues against dozens of its portfolio companies, according to an investment steward report. The, um, the, the, the adjacent motion from 13 Republican uh, state attorneys general likewise contends that Vanguard breached uh, com uh, commitments to refrain from exercising any control over the day-to-day -day management of utility companies and taking action affecting the prices of which power is transmitted or sold. The lawyers who, who called for the hearing to determine whether the, the renewed uh, blanket author authorization for Vanguard is in the public best interest argued that the company has engaged in environmental activism and used financial influence to manipulate the activities of the utility companies in its portfolio. Now, Kentucky uh, joined a coalition of attorney generals uh, led by Indiana and Utah in challenging Vanguard's application to extend the blanket authorization under the Fe Federal Powers Act. Um, there, there's a, a number of them that are, that are getting on board. And Republican uh, state officials have uh, implemented a number of moves to divest pension funds from leading asset managers out of a concern that the firm's advanced social agendas, um, well, they, they're just the, the opposite of the values of their, their constituents. So in other words, these investment agencies are buying up stock in these power uh, utilities and then forcing them to take on woke leftist board members and policies. All of this being done out of concern for climate change rather than their clients' financial well-being. Now, if, if you have funds, such as retirement funds or, or anything like that, uh, with these companies, I would strongly suggest that you rethink that. And looks like a local Ohio school board is rethinking their recent decision. Ohio parents are suing their local school board over a new transgender policy that allows students to use the bathroom and locker room that correspond with their, you got it, gender identity. The group of Muslim and Christian parents, strange bedfellows, right, um, in Bethel, Ohio, filed a civil lawsuit in federal court on November 22nd against Bethel Local School District School Board seeking to halt the district's new bathroom po policy. The parents say the policy violates their parental rights of, uh, and constitutional religious rights, as well as Title IX and Ohio state law. The lawsuit claims that children on the uh, of the plaintiffs, quote, hold their urine and avoid using the bathroom at school if at, if at all possible due to the policy. If the children do, do use the restroom, it causes them anxiety and emotional stress, unquote. And they fear that they will be exposed to the opposite sex, the lawsuit says. One of the children, a ninth grade girl, takes a friend with her to make sure no boys violate her modesty. 
The Bethel School District is, it sits just north of Dayton and, and serves nearly 1,600 K-12 through students. And the bathroom policy blindsided parents. This is, this is almost just, well, it, it's at least just as disturbing. The bathroom policy blindsided the, 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 the parents after it was implemented secretly. <laughs> like they know it's really bad, right? Because they did it secretly, violating Ohio's Open Meetings Act. The district facility member proposed the new bathroom policy as a school board meeting uh, at a school board meeting in September of last year. And the, the change was adopted in January with no public discussion whatsoever. The board's actions kept the community in the dark regarding the new rules and policies for intimate facilities by refusing to answer basic questions parents needed to know to make decisions about their child's education. This is what the lawsuit reads. The parental right to direct the education safely and upbringing of their children is the oldest fundamental right recognized by the Supreme Court. The, and the board's actions deny these parents the same. Now, previously, actually, what, what happened was a couple parents um, donated out of their own pocket to build a sex-neutral bathroom uh, next to the main bathroom at the school. And the lawsuit says that the, the, the school uh, system actually took their money and built the bathroom and then introduced the, tran- uh, the uh, transgender policy anyway. The school board argued that it had no choice, saying that the change was necessary to comply with Title IX since the federal government was threatening school funding and, uh, you know, yada, 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 right? But of course, we know that's not true. I mean, this is just another reason for parents of school-aged children to consider public school alternatives. I, I, I am a firm believer in that. Or, or at least support school choice legislation so parents can choose which school districts they want to go to, they want their kids to go to. And lastly, let's, let's end this on a lighter note. A woman su- uh, is suing over how much time it took to make her Velveeta macaroni and cheese after the packaging claimed it would only take a matter of minutes. <laughs> On behalf of herself and others, Amanda Ramirez is suing Kraft Heinz Foods Company for $5 million over its mac and cheese product promises. The food items packaging claims that the macaroni and cheese will be ready in three and a half minutes. But Ramirez alleged that it took more time to make the product when other steps are taken into consideration. Quote, the statement's Uh, of ready in three and a half minutes is false and misleading because the product takes longer than three and a half minutes to prepare for consumption. The lawsuit stated that, that, uh, that because of this, that the lawsuit is valid. It went on to describe the the process of making the food and the the, the directions involved. Um, Consumers seeking uh, ready in three and a half minutes will believe it represents the total amount of time it takes to prepare the product meaning the moment that it's, you know, not opened to the moment that it is ready for consumption. And the lawsuit also alleges that the macaroni product is able to be marketed at a higher cost because it claims, because of its claims of how soon the food can be ready to eat. In a statement from the Washington Post, 
The Kraft Heinz company said that they knew about the frivolous lawsuit and will strongly defend against the allegations in the complaint. And the the lawyer, Ramirez's lawyer, William Wright, said, I've gotten a lot of flack about this case, but deceptive advertising is deceptive advertising. And he said that there are a lot of people that feel this is just a little fibbing and, and not really not really a case that, that I get. But we are striving for something better, Wright said. We want corporate America to be straightforward and truthful in advertising their products. My firm also represents clients in that most would say are more compelling cases. But we don't feel corporations should get a pass for any deceptive advertising. Now, the lawsuit taps into the efforts of many Americans to make their their money go further in in the current economic environment of sky-high inflation, they said. The filing claims that uh, Ramirez is like any consumer who seeks to stretch their money as far as possible when buying groceries and looks to to bold statements and values when quickly selecting groceries. <laughs> no, I don't know. Is this something that you think is a frivolous lawsuit, or do you have uh, you know do you think they have a case with this deceptive advertising claim? I mean, you could almost see both sides of it, couldn't you? <laughs> but five and a half million dollars—that's that—that's going to hit the pocketbook if that. Uh, is to be the case. So anyway, you may agree with with one side or the other. I would love to hear what you think of it. And of course, you can always do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.